Welcome to the Brown Rudnick Women in Business podcast series. The views and opinions expressed herein are those of each individual speaker and do not represent the opinions of Brown Rudnick LLP. This podcast is presented for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not intended to be construed or used as legal advice or a solicitation of any kind. The recording cannot be duplicated or rebroadcast without prior written consent. Welcome to Brown Rodnick's Women in Business podcast series. Since 2016, Brown Rodnick have been hosting a Women in Business series where we've asked inspirational women from various areas of business to speak about their careers. We've had the pleasure of being joined by some really excellent speakers, to name just a few. Lady Justice Carr, a Lady Justice of Appeal, Kath Kidson, the fashion designer, and Deborah Meerden from the BBC's Dragon's Den. During 2022, we will be speaking to more influential women from a variety of different backgrounds to learn about their careers and journeys. I'm Jane Colston, diversity, equity and inclusion partner for the firm and a litigation partner in the London office. And I'm Renald G. Clark, Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for the firm. As part of our Women in Business initiative, which has included regular in-person events and live webinars since 2016, we are thrilled to now offer this podcast featuring the inspirational stories of inspirational women from whom our clients, peers, and aspiring lawyers can learn. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Elna Ray. I'm a partner at an international law firm, Brown Rednick, and our guest today is Alexandra Tolstoy. We have a great topic today, resilience, and I'm especially looking forward to discussing it with Alexandra, as Alexandra is not only a very successful businesswoman and a mother, which I think requires a lot of resilience, but also because her projects are multicultural, social, innovative, and her work spans across various countries from Europe to Asia. She has accomplished a variety of projects in different fields, from banking to developing BBC series on the Silk Road, to launching her own interior design line and working with social networks. And what I mostly admire about Alexandra is in whatever she's doing, she has managed to combine her work successfully with her interests and hobbies. So whatever she does comes from her heart and background and interests, which I think is very personable. As I mentioned, our topic today is resilience. So when I look back in the past few years, I think one essential skill we all developed is the ability to manage manage working in the new environments, manage homeschooling or trying to see our family and friends and helping our parents, friends and children to get accustomed to this new environment. And actually, then I realized that probably the most important skill for managing this new environment is resilience. It's the ability to bounce back from changes and difficulties and setbacks, big and small, that life throws at us almost every day. And obviously, this goes back to the point whether resilience is a um, skill we acquire during our lifetime or we're born with it. Alexandra, I think it'd be really interesting to hear your story, how you've come to develop resilience, um, and actually, if you think if this is a skill that one can develop over lifetime. Yes, it's really interesting because 
you're right. And I look at my own children and they are completely different from each other. And obviously some things they're born with and some come through experience. And really you can only enhance, I suppose, what's there. But from my own life experience, you know, and it's maybe a truism, but it's something which is applicable to everybody that it really is through only through overcoming obstacles that you acquire resilience. So I think there's a tendency nowadays to really modelly coddle our children and to do all this helicopter parenting. And in fact, some difficulties are absolutely crucial. And it's this ability to dust ourselves down, pick ourselves up and carry on that builds, you know, and from every mistake, it is so true and very boring, but we do learn lessons. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about my own life. I was born in the English countryside. I grew up a very sort of English childhood with ponies being outside. But, you know, I grew up in the 70s. We didn't really travel as a family. I'm one of four children. And I had a very English life, really. I went to English boarding school. But my father is partly Russian. And he very much instilled in us that we came, you know, we're very fortunate. We come from this great literary and cultural family of Russia. And so I didn't speak any Russian. And when I was 18, my father sent me to live in Russia, in Moscow. And it was 1992 when communism had just ended in Russia. It was a you know very crazy and difficult time. There were big queues just even to buy simple food products. Moscow had one restaurant. It was a very, very gray city. It was very cold. It was probably minus 30. I arrived in January and I didn't speak a word of Russian. And I went to live with a family who barely spoke English. But I think that this was my first real test in life. I had been to boarding school, so I had not lived at home for some of the time. But this was something completely and utterly outside my experiences. And I think the way I coped with it was, number one, my father as a child really made me read a huge amount. And I had never watched television. So, I mean, I loved reading, but I didn't understand that actually I'd also built up something incredible inside me, this imagination that I could spend many, many hours. I used to spend probably eight hours a day reading books alone at this time during Moscow. And I loved the family and I got on very well with them. But I had to be very, very self-sufficient. I didn't have any friends there. I didn't know anyone of my own age. They were very, very careful with me because I think it was a quite an unruly time in Moscow. And so I think they were frightened of me being mugged or, you know, I didn't speak any Russian. So I was quite vulnerable. And foreigners were really something very new in Russia then. So I do feel incredibly grateful to my father that he'd given me this great gift. And all my friends, my peers were doing completely different, you know, much more glamorous travels. They were traveling together as groups through India, through Thailand, on beaches. But I never thought this isn't fair. I don't like it. Um, so and my parents were quite tough parents, probably. I definitely had not been indulged. And, very, and I also think... You know, there's a lot of talk today about equality and obviously girls and women and how we bring them up. And my parents, ironically, are extremely traditional. My mother never did work, but my father absolutely put this massive emphasis on academic achievements, not really so much in exams, but to be an educated, cultured, intellectual person. He put a massive emphasis on this. And I think this really served me very well. I was also able to learn Russian. I'd done Latin at school, which really helped me. So I think there are many elements of a traditional education which can get passed over today, which I think, because of my personal experience, they're extremely important for me. And I read a lot of this 19th century literature. And actually, ironically, if you look at this type of literature, you see many, many very, very resilient women in the Brontes and Jane Austen who are extremely self-sufficient mentally. 
and perhaps some of this rubbed off on me. Anyway, I spent six months there and then I returned to the UK and I went to Edinburgh University in Scotland and I was going to read philosophy, but I fell so in love with Russia that I decided to change and to study Russian. And then as part of my four-year degree, I had to spend another six months in Russia. And this time I went back to live with the same family in Moscow and I decided this time I was three years older, I was more adventurous, I felt more independent, and I went off on these amazing travels. I went skiing in the Caucasus for a month on Mount Elbrus, which is wild, and <laughs> it had signs in the woods saying, beware of the bears, and I then uh, went to the Crimea. And this was, again, my parents, not particularly, they didn't even contact me particularly, so the fact that I had this independence and I had to make my own adventures, I think this was really crucial, and to push yourself beyond you know some of the situations I was quite scared and I remember going on a 17-hour train journey to the Caucasus and I went with friends who were better off than me so they went in the expensive carriage and I had to go in the very very cheap carriage where you have 30 passengers just lying on wooden bunk beds and we got stopped we got searched for I didn't have the right visa or something and I was on my own and it was pretty frightening but I dealt with it I didn't depend on anyone else and subconsciously I suppose it gave me the courage to do other things. That's interesting, Alexander. Just when you were talking earlier about reading, mm -hmm. the question I had in my mind was that I always sort of, when I was looking at this topic, thinking, well, I guess we build resilience by going out there, trying new things, mm -hmm. accepting risks and challenges, as you just said, right? So, you know, traveling to unknown destinations, yeah. going to another city, learning a language. And then I thought it's interesting that you said that actually you can build up resilience by reading, by sort of building up your internal world. Yes. And I really, I think actually it's more important because by the time we start traveling, we're fully formed mentally, really, aren't we? You know, we're in our 20s. Whereas reading you do from you know, you're listening to stories from the age of two or three, even younger, maybe. And I think these form, it's what Einstein said, if you want your child to be intelligent, you read them fairy tales. If you want them to be more intelligent, you read them more fairy tales. These stories just build up and they explore so many complicated situations. And always they show that somehow there's a way out of these complicated situations, even if it's not always a very easy or an absolutely perfect outcome, there always is a solution. And this is pouring into our subconscious as we grow up. And I think it's it's crucial. And what do you think are sort of main barriers to building resilience, both sort of early on and as we mature in life? As we mature in life, I think it's really, really important to take risks. Well, it depends, I suppose, on what type of a person you are. But for me, I just love the feeling of achievement. You know, in whatever sphere you work in, if you work in law or medicine or whatever, if you don't push yourself a bit further, how can you feel that sense of achievement? So for me, it's been when I left Edinburgh, I got an amazing job in theory, being a broker. Uh, I went to New York for my training. I worked for Credit Suisse West Boston. I was on the Eastern European Equities desk. So it was a very exciting time. And I did it. I passed the training. I passed all my exams and everything. But when I got back, I realized, actually, I'm not very interested in companies and how they work and balance sheets. It's just not a thing that I'm passionate about. And I took a huge risk. I left it. And my friend said, why are you doing that? You know, I was earning more money probably than most of my friends. But I knew in my absolute heart, this I can't do this. I can't be happy with myself. And it wasn't even a question. And actually, my parents were very supportive at that point, which I think is a good thing. And I went on instead to do these extraordinary travels. I rode horses and camels for nine months along the Silk Road and then went on to do a lot of other traveling. And I also, I would think I was very blessed that my parents never never pressured me about earning a lot of money. But on the other hand, they didn't give me any money. So I had to. 
and what is true what you said i think it's resilience and achievement obviously they're much much easier if you're doing things that you're passionate about and that you enjoy i think it's difficult to take risks where they feel like things you don't even like and it's interesting you use the word achievement because we do think about resilience as when you you know you took a risk you did something challenging and then you've learned something through you know either your success or failure yeah. but taking risks is not always same as as actually achieving something which you can do you know steadily as well yes. right so pursuing something in a very determined way and i think that that's true. that's very yes. yeah that's that's very exciting to sort of you know focusing on the, on something that passionates uh, you and then you know achieving something yes. in, in the field as well yes and it's you're right because of course you can achieve huge things by tenacity and by sticking it so you you know you also have to know yourself really some people really don't like any form of risk but they can still achieve exactly through tenacity but yet for me life to be lived <laughs> there needs to be some excitement and you mentioned that your work and work projects and career took you to different places and also you worked on projects in different fields from banking to working with BBC on developing travel series to launching your own design line what do you think is a common theme in, in pursuing these projects? And, and so how do you develop them? So I think I'm very lucky because they're all areas that I'm passionate about. I've always been passionate about design and I didn't really think I'd ever work in it. But I think the common thing, especially nowadays, is communication. And I have found that through social media, I've been able to present these businesses and ideas in a very effective way. And without this communication, you know, it's very difficult to make any business really. So I feel very full in that way, you know, so many wonderful things about modern life, about working from home. We have so many opportunities and obviously COVID has been a nightmare for the travel world. But during that time, I was able to launch this decorating antiques business and it has taken up <laughs> when COVID was happening. A lot of people were sitting at home decorating their homes. So I've, they've sort of gone in tandem. And I feel very fortunate about that. And how how will in general deal with setbacks or how would you recommend, I guess, one to sort of deal with the setbacks, but also sort of changes in life that, you know, we encounter every day? I do think that hope obviously is an extremely important. And if you're Christian, it's a, a you know, a requirement. And I spoke the other day, I did a thing with Julia Samuel, this very well-known uh, psychotherapist. And she said, and it's true, hope is not something you're just born with, um, you know, in the same way that if you have a bad temper, it's very difficult to control it. You have to work on it. And, you know, there are ways to work on hope, you know, simple things to go outside, to look at nature, to go for a walk, to do sport. And my way is that I think I keep my life very busy and I do wake up every day and sometimes I feel shattered as we all do with children and working but I always find something in the day to feel excited about some new project or even it's beautiful weather uh, something in my home to have conscious thoughts about that and you know and also from experience I look back and often the things that I thought were really you know something I tell my children all the time something I thought was truly dreadful has actually often turned out to be a really a great blessing and an opening for something amazing and new. That's interesting. So it's actually exercise of mind as well, right? That is part of building this resilience. Um, it actually reminded me when the Queen was asked what was the secret of her happy marriage to Prince Philip. 
she answered divorce was not an option. But in a way, you know, that was her way of showing that, you know, through life, we commit to different projects and we work on them, right? So through this exercise of mind, you build your life, your resilience and your achievements as well. Yes, it's amazing. I didn't know she said that, but it is true. And you could apply exactly, you could apply that to your work. You can think, right, this is what I want to achieve. And this is a goal I've set myself. And of course, there'll be difficult moments like in a marriage. But, you know, if you don't give up, yes, I think a huge amount of it is mental. And I really do believe we all make our own opportunities in life. We have gifts in some way, and it's finding how to use them to the best advantage. And I thought it was brilliant what you said that, you know, when the travel business was uh, slow in COVID, that you started working with interior designers and launched your own line. Uh, I think that's a great example of this uh, philosophy of looking for opportunities and then, you know, working on uh, making things happen. And I think that's, uh, that's how we achieve success. It is probably, as you said, not always. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and also I think as women it's with that it's being quite fluid isn't it you know not very linear about and we are lucky as women that we think probably in a often a more flexible way like that um you know we can multitask we can do different things at once and hopefully not get too distressed it seems like our aim has moved sideways yes I looked at the actually at the different factors that one may want to have to develop resilience um and interesting it's uh, commitment and control oh, really? were among those important uh, features uh, that help you to become more resilient. How interesting. Yes. And I feel it applies in every sphere of your life. Like I can be, I'm quite disciplined about how I do sport. Every day I walk the dog for one hour and I listen to a book and it's a sort of routine. I think those things are all Exactly. You're committing to something all the time, aren't you? And with a variety of projects in your life, looking into the future, uh, would you say it helps to outline the strategy for, you know, your projects going forward in the nearest future or you take it sort of day by day and improvise and that helps you to, you know, be more innovative? Yes, I was. (laughs) But I don't know if I'm a very good example. I'm definitely the spontaneous type who, but I do find it helps me actually. I feel like if I plan, I can get in a panic too. Obviously my trips, I plan minutely and I've planned, like I have one going in June, I have one going in September. Every detail is planned. But to do with my interior thing, it's because it's creative, it's more spontaneous and often projects will arise because I'll suddenly meet someone, I'll suddenly see something. And I love, you know, we have some constant things that we're selling and doing, but I love that feeling. And I think you can be more creative by being more liberated, really. Yes. And I think creativity is also being open to to new opportunities, to to people you you meet. It's interesting because I can uh, draw parallels to finance and legal world um which is obviously uh, not as creative but you know well it is in its way isn't it (laughs) a lot of opportunities do happen because one you know meets a person and you know then uh, they create a business um, or a project together so that's very exciting yes and I love that that you know human contact is is so crucial isn't it my family often say to me but why don't you live in the country why don't you live in the country but I would never want to, I mean, I love going to the country and we spend a lot of time there, but I don't want to live there because I get huge pleasure and stimulation from meeting people, from going to exhibitions, just chance encounters. And this would never happen if I didn't live in London. Uh, yes, I, I would probably <laughs> agree. <laughs> <laughs> and probably one of the sort of last questions. So how do you help your children to develop resilience? Or so what sort of advice you would have 
for both younger generation, but also, you know, people who may want to develop sort of to be more resilient, both in their work and personal life. So, well, with my children, the reading has been a huge, huge thing. And actually, I heard someone told me yesterday about um, they'd been taught at school by a master and he was, he taught history and he suddenly went off into a long tangent about the Ottoman Empire or something. And one of the boys said, but sir, do we are we studying this? Do we need to know this for the exams? And he said, your parents did not send you to school to get exam results. They sent you to school for an education. And this has definitely been my approach that I don't put a lot of pressure on my children. Of course, I want them to pass exams, but it, it's not a huge thing for me how they get what marks they get. But I absolutely have put an enormous effort into them speaking three languages, being extremely well read in three different cultures. And these are the things which I think will, and I have noticed that at school, they are very adaptable, even though they've had quite, you know, they, I'm a single parent and they haven't in many ways had an ideal life. But I do notice at school, I've never, ever had a problem where my children, and I know it happens a lot where children feel they're bullied or picked on. My children have never, ever complained about this. And I think it's a lot has to do with how much we've read and also I'm not too indulgent (laughs) and I hope by example they see that I just get on I do things I take them on these amazing travels sometimes they've been riding with me in Kyrgyzstan and I never doubted that they could do it or that they can achieve really anything that they want. That's a very interesting point you mentioned being able to adapt and I think when we now teach and educate our children we can't probably you know educate them for all the future jobs that don't exist yet right exactly but we yes. give them the life skills we give them languages but also yes this ability to be open-minded and multicultural and this ability to adapt which is actually i think part of the resilience exactly and i never talked to them about what job because like you say you, how will we know that life's changed so much in the last 20 years that how can we know? But it's just to have a flexible mind that can adapt itself to any situation, really. And it actually was very, it was very interesting to sort of discuss this and um, say that a, a lot can be done through reading and through sort of our internal words, as opposed to you know going out there and traveling to exciting countries and taking sort mm-hmm. of more, uh, you know, physical risks. Absolutely, I think mentally you can achieve much, much more by doing that because. It's all, you know, all these Grimm's fairy stories, Pushkins, they're just full of the most eternal human dilemmas of all the different psychological themes that we, you know, we encounter in life. And it's much more effective to hear it from a young age. Well, thank you very much. It has been a really interesting discussion. Alexandra, thank you for your time. And it was amazing to hear your thoughts on this subject. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. We look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you very much for having me. For more information about any of our speakers and Brian Rodnick, please visit our website at brianrodnick.com or click on the links available in the show notes associated with this podcast series. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.